Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Hi, when you get your Bible open uh, on 1 Kings chapter 21, we're going to learn today about people. It's going to help us look at ourselves. It's very insightful into human nature and spiritual realities. And the story starts with desire, somebody wanting something. 1 Kings chapter 21 verse 1 says, Sometime later there was an incident involving a vineyard that belonged to Naboth the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. That incident is what we're going to look at now. It starts with Ahab the king wanting something, desire. Now Samaria was often relatively a cold place but Jezreel was lovely and warm throughout the year which made it the perfect place for a vineyard, even more so if he wanted a winter tan. And King Ahab is already wealthy but now he looks over the garden wall and sees this vineyard and he wants it too. He's not content. Verse 2 says, Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for my vegetable garden. Since it's close to my palace, in exchange I'll give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll pay you whatever it's worth. Now you've got to realise he's the king. When the king says, let me, it's not really an ask. Verse 3, but Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. You see, this was a land grab. The way the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. But not just that. This wasn't just about land. It, it wasn't just about today. It was about God's past promises and the future that he intended. Naboth wasn't just involved in a justice issue. This was, he stands before a king who's rejected the real God and started to worship idols and demons and says, no, God wouldn't want this to happen because he wants this to be passed on to the next generation. This law, you see, had been written to stop greedy acquisition that leads to inequality and poverty. And Naboth knew, you can't ever really own land. It's the Lord's land. He was living in the promised land. It was loaned to him as a tenant. From the time of Joshua, it was parceled out so that various tribes got a portion. And he received it from previous generations to pass on to others. Now that raises for me a really good question about how we see things. Who owns stuff? Who owns your house? Who owns your car? Who owns whatever you're watching this on? We so easily forget that we're not actually really owners. We are what the Bible would call stewards of everything, wages and wealth included. For a short time, we get to not be the owner, but the steward of it. And that includes the whole earth. So we'd better do a better job of looking after it for future generations. So even though Ahab had no regard for the Lord and Jezebel was killing the two prophets, Naboth was brave enough to stand up to this king and say, I can't do what you say because of God, because of what God has written in his law. Now, I want you to remember this all started with desire. Somebody wants something. Ahab wants the vineyard. And it's not wrong, of course, to have needs. God made us with needs. He's promised to give us our needs. The problem is when it becomes greed when we're driven by our greed. See, our needs can often become very clear and conscious. They can become a goal, like I want that pair of jeans, or I want to get to that position in the company, or I want to get that person to go out on a date. At work, you might be trying to get a raise, or an easier workload, or shedding responsibility, or shining a light on what you've done. Your company sets a figure to make so many sales. We all have things that we need and goals that we set for ourselves or others. That's not wrong. 
but we need to bear in mind our motives because they can lead us towards right and wrong ways to achieve them. And we have to think about what that, the means by which we set out to get something. See, Ahab has a need and he has power. As the king, he started to think everything in the land kind of belongs to him anyway. He's the ruler over the people. But rather than caring for the people, rather than being grateful for what he has already been given, he thinks, how do I leverage my power for my good and for me, not for them? He's not that kind of a king. His desire comes from a goal, which ends up becoming what the Bible would call coveting. And coveting is a burning desire for what doesn't belong to you, but somebody else has got it. And this can take over your whole life. And the more you want it, the more you can't have it. And the more you can't have it, the more you want it. And it just becomes this thing. In, and, and it's in the Ten Commandments. It's the last one of the Ten Commandments. God says, well, to update it, don't covet somebody else's spouse or their house. Don't covet their job or their car or anything that belongs to your neighbour. That's comprehensive. It belongs to your neighbour, it's not yours. Who was Ahab's neighbour? Naboth, literally. It drove him mad that he had what I want. And so if you've been in the series so far, you're going to know already that Ahab is a pretty terrible man. He's committed all kinds of sins. And as we read on, we're going to see how his lovely wife Jezebel helps him to get the land to seize the inheritance by killing its godly owner in order to be able to do that. So we can look at the killing and think, well, that's a big sin but we tend to not think of the coveting itself as that big of a deal. Especially compared with other wrong things that we see, or we do, or what other people might do. You see, we think coveting isn't that big of a deal, is it? 90% of the economy, 100% of advertising is built on coveting. So why would God put it in his top 10, the Ten Commandments? Well, if you remember the book of James, when we looked at the studies there, James chapter 1 verse 14 says, Every person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. It's always the same four-stage process, desire, deception, disobedience, death. It's here in this story of Naboth's vineyard, and it's in every sin and every addiction. It starts with your own evil desire. What that is is different for you than it is for me. Ahab just wanted an allotment. Now, I've never been tempted by gardening, but each to his own. Next, you get deceived. You're caught up into getting something that you thought will make you happy, but in the end it doesn't. And then disobedience is next. We're going to see how that played out as the things in his head move into action. And finally, disobeying God always leads somehow to death. On this occasion, it was Naboth's death initially, but it also led to death ultimately and directly for Ahab and Jezebel because the Bible says sin always, always, always pays its wages and the wages of sin is death. That's why coveting is such a big deal even though it's this old-fashioned, out-of-style word for us, because it's a category we think we've outgrown as a society that is never content. That's why we're going to put it on the B list of sins. It's not that serious. So watch out for it this week. Just think, how many times a day am I being encouraged to covet? Because it's a very serious issue. Because the real problem with coveting is it's actually an accusation against God. When I cover, I'm accusing God. I'm saying, God, I don't think you're loving enough. I don't think you're caring enough or good enough to give me what's best. You're saying he's stingy or unkind. 
You're telling him, well, you gave it to them, but you don't know what you're doing because you've not given it to me. And at that point, you make yourself God. You're saying, you don't know what's best, I do. I should have this, I need this. That's coveting. And you can't be happy, content with what God has given you because of it. Again, was it wrong for Ahab to want the vineyard? No, but when Naboth said, it's not on right move, sorry, it's not for sale, you can't have it, this is for me and my descendants, something got twisted up inside of Ahab and the coveting opened the door to domination, manipulation and control with a little bit of help from his missus. So you look what Ahab did next, follow this along with me, verse four. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. What a guy. Okay, mass confession time here, hands up. Are you a sulker? See, most of us, some of us, we can just proper sulkers, aren't we? You can be like a real atmosphere changer. You don't even have to say anything, but everybody knows anyway. Grumping about the house because we're fed up, because we didn't get our own way. So we throw our toys out of the pram. It's not a pretty picture. And the weak Ahab has formed this codependent, evil partnership with Jezebel, who's only happy, who's only too happy to get involved in his little drama and make it a major production. Now, if you haven't watched the first one, the first talk in this series about Jezebel, it's vital that you do so because we have to know this isn't just about some historical queen, but it's about what the Bible calls a principality, an evil spiritual power that wants to rule and take over. Always at work behind the scenes, trying to, uh, so if we try try and fight it in the flesh, we're going to lose. Jezebel is still operating in the nations, in the workplace, in families, and yes, even, and perhaps especially in the church, because God's prophetic people are its number one target. So we've got to be on our guard against this spirit, against its message and its methods in others, and yes, in ourselves. Jezebel features in various points throughout the Bible, so we can know what this demonic power looks like by what it acts like. Jesus reserves some of the harshest criticism in the New Testament for a church that was not courageous or strong enough to deal with this influence that Jezebel had gained there and was leading people away from God into immorality and idolatry, as it always does. He wrote in Revelation to a church in Thyatira about somebody in the church who was controlled and controlling others. And he said, I've got this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. She wasn't a prophet. She just liked a title. And she sounds very nice and spiritual and religious. That's why we need discernment to not get caught up in her schemes and not to tolerate it. Jesus goes on to say, Jezebel wants to seduce, to lead people astray. She's got her own reasons for everything that she does. So here we see where they have a tag team forms and she's, they go to work and she's doing the work behind the scenes, pulling people's strings. Verse five says, his wife Jezebel came in and asked him, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? It wasn't man flu, it turned out this time, but he answered her in verse six, because I said to Naboth that Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife said, is this how you act as king over Israel? She's all about power and control. Cheer up, I'll get you the vineyard. I'll get that thing that you've been coveting, that evil desire that's been festering, despite what God's word says about it. And so she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them 
Just notice that's really important. She found a way to get some legitimate power, but now she's taking the authority that doesn't belong to her and using it as if it does. That's manipulation. You know, when you say, well, the boss says, but the boss didn't say. And she sent them on to the elders and nobles who were there in Naboth city with him. See, she saw this as the golden opportunity to take Ahab's power and use it. And, and he's passive and she's aggressive. She steals authority that doesn't belong to her. See, if Ahab wanted Naboth dead, he could have sent a soldier himself. But by now, she'd taken over to such an extent, he, he only had the title but she's got the power. And she would get that by shaming, by blaming, by shouting at him. She will intimidate you if you dare to question this spirit, reassure you everything's okay because she's in charge. This spirit would say, that fool who's supposed to be the boss doesn't know what to do, but come to me. I can help, I can sort it out. And Naboth's sitting in the sun with no idea about the vindictive and murderous spirit that he's roused to anger, simply by standing on God's word, and doing what was right. Verse nine says, in those letters she wrote, proclaim a day of fasting, dress it up, make it look holy, prayerful, spiritual. That's another tool Jezebel can use. Seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people because flattery is a tool this spirit will use to great effect, building you up only to tear you down. But seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he's cursed both the God and the king, then take him out and stone him to death. See, Jezebel never wants to work alone. It wants you on side, her side. So the elders and the nobles, it says verse 11, who lived in Naboth city, by the way, notice these were his neighbours, people who actually knew him, did as Jezebel directed in the letters she'd written to them. She holds a very poison pen. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. Then two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people saying, Naboth has cursed both God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death. They sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. The Bible elsewhere says they killed his whole family too. See, this spirit goes against the whole family trying to steal inheritances. And to do it, Jezebel recruited some people to work with her and for her, inhabitants and influences of the city who went along with the plan. It was actually people close to Naboth. She throws this big party in Naboth's honour, set him in a special seat, and one by one, people line up and they all say how great he is. Then the accusations come by Jezebel's puppets. The King James Version calls these, describes these scoundrels as men of Belial to show they've fallen under a demonic spell as they speak on her behalf. She doesn't have to do anything herself. She just turns the people against him, murdering his reputation first. He goes from celebrated leader to persona non grata overnight. When the, you see, when stoning happened, you never, you're never stoned by one person. It takes a crowd people joining in. It's always amazing to me when I read this to think how quickly Naboth's own kinsmen, even people who were very close, totally turned against him. It didn't even occur to them how one minute they were honouring him and the next they're picking up and throwing stones at him. Didn't they think, hey, this is Naboth we're talking about. Couldn't they smell that spirit? Where's their discernment? One after another, people join in and form the crowd throwing stones. I've seen it happen when this spirit's at work. Even good friends turn on you. 
In Naboth's city, the elders and nobles joined in with Jezebel's plan. He stood alone. Nobody defended him when he was falsely accused. Nobody protested. The same guys who were just celebrating are now stoning him because this spirit had got in and infiltrated. And that's what it does to rob the future and destiny that God has in mind. I haven't got time to dig into the rest of this chapter now, but read on and see how Elijah comes and declares prophetically to Ahab, God will judge him and Jezebel most severely for this. They think nobody knows, but God knows and God sees what's really going on. He says, I'm going to bring disaster on you. And it gets really graphic. I would have had to give this a PG warning to go into the punishment because God sees the danger. And now Jezebel has to be dealt with without mercy because this is a spiritual battle. It's not about flesh and blood. It's not about a person, but a principality and the future of God's people is at stake. How that defeat came about is a teaching for another day. Except I've got to say it wasn't the prophets who had the anointing to bring Jezebel down. Elijah didn't do it. Elisha couldn't do it. Even when Ahab was dead and gone, Jezebel stayed there in her position for a long, long time, still fighting. She's there for another 10 whole chapters until in the end, God brings a leader with the anointing of the king to confront the spirit head on with godly authority. Jehu drives straight at it, cuts through all the lies, intimidation, seduction, flattery and fear that comes at him for doing so. But in the end, she is thrown down. Hallelujah. You can read that for yourself as the story goes on. But I want to finish by looking at how do we discern this kind of spirit. And we've got to watch it in ourselves, remember. This isn't about pointing at other people. It can start with coveting and sulking and wanting what isn't ours. That leads us to examine our own motives and methods of influence. How we get what we need from other people. Our words and our actions. Because even if it's a legitimate end, there's many ways to get it. Godly ways and ungodly ways. And if we see ourselves leading or influencing in the wrong way, we have to watch out for that. We have to challenge it, turn it around and repent. The way I think about this is like there's a scale, the scale of influence. I teach this on WTC as a kind of spin-off from game theory because I think it's so important to think about when I teach on leadership. Not just in church, this is about how we interact in our families, our workplace and friendships and how we conduct the business of life. Here's the scale. Over here you have win-lose. That's the point of a gun. I'm, I've got to win, you're going to lose. Give it me or I'll kill you. I'll threaten you. I'll intimidate you. I'll dominate you. I'll control. I'll manipulate. I'll sulk. I'll flatter. I'll tell lies and half-truths. Only I win, you don't win. This side is wide open to a Jezebel situation. The best the world can offer is win-win. It's fair. I get, you get. Nobody gets hurt. Right over here is lose, win. In game theory, that's the worst possible outcome. But in the Bible, it's actually what Jesus taught and even modeled. John chapter 13, what does Jesus do? He comes and he washes his disciples' feet. There's no domination, there's no intimidation, there's no control, there's just love. How do we influence other people in the way of the kingdom of God? How do we act in the opposite spirits? Always love. It's taking a beating rather than giving one back. And then you see the Lord steps in. He does what only he can do. And he serves them. And he loves them. And rather than domination and, and manipulation and control, Jesus comes and he just serves them. And, and, and when he does that, what you end up with in this beautiful picture is that something changes and the disciples decide that's the way that we want to live from now on. Because he says to them, 
Do you know what? Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example so that you should do what I've done for you. It's like saying, this is the way it's going to be now in the kingdom. This is the way it's going to be among my people. In another passage in Mark, he says, you know, you've seen how other people like to throw themselves around in terms of looking like, well, I'm a, I'm a benefactor. They call themselves benefactors while they're using people. And Jesus says, not so among you. He says, you're going to have to be the servant. The way it's going to lead and the way it's going to look from now on is I'm looking for people who are willing to be servants. And you know how you know when you're becoming a servant? It's when you don't mind when people treat you like one. Philippians chapter 2 says this, Your attitude now should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Jesus was never power hungry. He had all the power, all the authority, but he gave it all away. He didn't grasp that power, but he made himself nothing. He taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He took the lowest place. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And in heaven, on earth, and on under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How do we live? How do we lead? Not by manipulation, not by intimidation, not by domination, not by control. The way we love, the way we live, it's all about serving. It's about letting go of our privileges our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So let's just take a moment and think into that and pray into that where you are now. Ask, invite the Holy Spirit to come. Lord, I'm inviting you to come into my life and show me these ways in which I want something that I can't get and it ends up leading into sin. So help me to, to be more content. What is it? Is there something that you've been, that's been twisting you up on the inside? A position, a promotion, power, a possession. What is it? Maybe God doesn't want you to have it. Would that ever be okay? Would you trust that he's still a good father? Would you be able to say like Jesus, not my will but yours be done? Because otherwise we leave ourselves wide open to spiritual oppression that's going to chain us up and in the end it's going to destroy something inside of us and the relationships around us, it's always going to lead to death. So Lord, we just come to you for life because it's only you can give us that life. We come to you and we say, please help us to deal with our greeds and supply our needs according to your abundant riches in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org/media.